I think President Obama is the only figure out that his legacy is like one of those dolls that as the air comes out of it, shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on 91.7 FM KYAQ, and in Cottage Grove on 106.7 FM KSO. In Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Bellingham, Washington on KZAX 94.9 FM. In Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 K. KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing the globe five days a week. Usually hosted by Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com, but today you got me again, Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com. It's Christmas week. Nothing happens Christmas week. It's the slowest news time of the year, but there's still plenty to talk about. So in just a moment, we'll be joined by radio host, criminal defense attorney, and former CIA agent Jack Rice. Plus, we'll say farewell to some who left us this year. What's news style? All right, so we got a lot of ground to cover today. Let's get started. Jack Rice, we first met when we, we were sort of the second string on Air America. You and I were the, the fill-ins. We were sort of the go-tos when they had openings over there. My background was radio. Yours was a lot more interesting, Jack Rice, because in addition to being a lawyer, which I believe you're now practicing again, you're also a former CIA. Now, were you an agent or were you an operative or is there any difference? Both, actually. Uh Technically, I had several titles, depending upon the work that I was doing. Uh, part of it had to do with counterintelligence, where technically the title I had was special agent. Believe it or not, it goes way back uh, when the agency first started. They, this area, where they were trained in by the Bureau. And on the Bureau, all of their guys are called special agents, and so they grabbed that title. Uh, but then as a case officer, when I moved over to the DO, the Directorate of Operations, I was actually an operative. I was a field guy, but I was always a field guy, even on the counterintelligence side. So frankly, uh, working that angle was what I've always been. And so that was never exactly shocking for me. So were you, um, you were, obviously the CIA deals with our relationship or deals with stuff in other countries, right? The FBI is the domestic agency. Is that correct? Or, or is there other? Generally, yeah. Generally speaking, it's changed to some degree and it's morphed over time. But specifically what the agency was set up to do was to reach out internationally. Uh, the limit of their domestic involvement, supposedly, and I'll leave it at that, supposedly has to do with 
foreign operatives, if there if there are uh, people from around the world that the agency is interested in or involved with in the states, there are certain processes they have to go through to work within the states out of fear that the agency could be targeting their own. Hence, remember the whole NSA uh, debacle, rightfully so, by the way, uh, that people should be concerned about that. Because when you start using intelligence efforts that were designed to be going uh, after international sources against Americans, Americans should be certainly and absolutely and definitively concerned. Okay, so so now here's my next question. I always had this sort of vision in my mind. You know, everybody wonders, for instance, let's go think back eight years or so. Barack Obama, before he uh, took office, was this hope and changey kind of guy. Then he takes office and all of a sudden the hope and changey stuff almost disappeared. And I always think it's because the first the president, he goes through the inauguration he walks into the Oval Office, he sits down, and he's paid a visit by some oh, agents, perhaps, and they tell him, this is how it really works. Uh, and, and obviously, you can't tell me if that's the case, or you'd have to kill me. But um, <laughs> now, we have, now we have Donald Trump coming in. And I, I mean, I get the feeling it's a whole new ball game. He's already told the CIA and the FBI that he doesn't trust them, that that their work is not good enough for him. I mean, am I over exaggerating this? Because it seems like that's what he's done. Well, you know, it's fascinating because and again, I'm trying to stand sort of back on this issue. Right. Politically, I could I could go where I am. But if I listen to the way you just described it, uh-huh. if you could argue that if there was this perception of the quote-unquote hopey changey of President Obama, and then the intelligence community came in and reined him in and said, you won't be there. Mm-hmm. Well, is that is that a bad thing if Donald Trump says, I don't believe you, I don't trust you, and so therefore I'm not going to listen to you? I mean, I'm just saying, hypothetically, there is an argument to be made. I'm not sure I'd make it, but there's an argument to be made that if what Donald Trump is willing to do is to buck that system, then... Is that necessarily? No, actually, that a could be thing. right. That could be a good thing because he's going to say, "You don't scare me. I don't care. You can't threaten me. I'm going to do what I want to do." But then again, I don't know what kind of stuff they're holding over anybody's head. And I, I mean, it's somebody who will take the most—I would guess—at least one of the most sophisticated intelligence gathering um, uh, operations in the world and say. I don't believe you. I'll believe my own rumor mills over what you tell. I'll believe what Mike Flynn tells me over what you tell me. Uh, that, I think, leaves us open to uh, real danger, doesn't it? Well, it does, frankly. I mean, and if we can go back to the Obama question for a minute, yeah. I, I saw that directly. And I can say that specifically from what I was seeing. Again, uh, I was uh, at the White House uh, when the whole Abu Ghraib scandal mm. broke, and I was actually at the White House when President Obama was going to come out and speak about this. And for people who want to reach back a little bit, before he took office, when he was Senator Obama, he criticized heavily President Bush about his lack of transparency when it came to the Abu Ghraib question about a lot of the intelligence world. And then what happened when he took office, all of a sudden, it seemed to change. And it changed literally overnight. And I was at the White House. I was in the press room when he walked out and he said, I've decided that all of those pictures that I criticized President Bush about, 
that I'm absolutely going to release once I'm president, I've decided not to release them. And I sat there in the room incredulous because what I thought to myself was if transparency is a good thing, and again, this, I'm, an, I'm a former intelligence guy, mm-hmm. but, but th- there's always been a problem with the intelligence community, and we can talk about that. But what I saw from President Obama on, at that moment on that issue was that this president sounds exactly like the last president. And I think there were a lot of people who heard that and thought the very same thing. Yeah. And, and so that is incredibly disconcerting. But to get to your question now is, is it of concern now if President-elect Trump has decided that he doesn't want to listen to the intelligence community? Yes, it's potentially a disaster. The idea that he thinks because he's somehow myopically intelligent, myopically smart, that therefore he doesn't actually need to listen to information is absolutely petrifying for those of us who put our lives on the line, who risked our life, lives, who risked the lives of our families, and frankly, the people we've recruited and the assets that we've acquired on behalf of the United States to have a guy say, no, 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 I don't need to listen to you because I know the answer. That's putting on ignorance like a coat of honor. This is, this is Sarah Palin on steroids, mm-hmm. and that's exactly where we are right now. And there are a lot of people in the intelligence community who are thinking, what the hell am I going to do? I've been here 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I can't retire, and yet I'm doing this for this Yahoo? There's a lot of people who are honestly saying that who are the professionals in the room, and that's a fact. Right. And so, uh, again, this is what's so scary. I, I, I think, the, you know, here's the, 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 the contrast. You had Obama go in, and, and I, I, again, this could be my made-up fantasy, but something clearly was said to him to make him become more, um, you know, a, a good soldier, follow along in line than the, you know, the, the hope and change guy that we thought we had elected. Um, so he, he took the, you know, he followed along. He got, he got in lockstep with them or so it seems. Now you have Trump. And yeah, while some people may have voted for him because they thought, all right, he's not going to play along. Um, there's, there comes a part where you cross over from being more independent of the way things have always been done to conspiracy theory land. And this man has completely embraced Fox World. And even worse than that, it seems, you know, Alex Jones land, uh, because some of the stuff that I think you're right, right, that he and his, um, the people that surround him say, I mean, the, the other thing is, all right, well, maybe he's not, maybe he's what he is, but he'll surround himself with decent people. Jack Rice, then we see who he's uh, putting in his cabinet. And it's, I, I mean, I think it's time to be really scared. Well, I, I think you're right. Uh, if we look at where he is now, I mean, there are many people all along the campaign trail watching him. And I've chased a lot of campaigns on the journalistic side, uh, you know, I've been all over the world. I spent a lot of time in a lot of war zones simply because I knew how to do it. So Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, I was in the middle of the Israeli-Palestinian fight multiple Mm. times, the fight between the Turks and the Kurds in northern Iraq and in eastern Turkey, amongst others in Africa a couple of times too. And, And during this last campaign trail, everybody was waiting for him to pivot. And that was the term they used. They were all waiting for him to somehow become and go down that presidential route. And he never did it. 
Right. He would do it for a little while. All of a sudden he'd be reading something and everybody would say, oh, okay, I'm a little more comfortable now. And then he would come out and, and do and say things which were extraordinary. And I don't mean that in a positive way because the problem that he has is there needs to come a point where he realizes, and, and really this is the truth, that there comes a point when he needs to understand he is not just Donald Trump anymore. He's the most powerful person on the planet, mm. and people die because of words that he says. In fact, entire countries can collapse. Entire economic systems can shift simply based upon one statement that comes from him. And we've seen this in the past, but the problem is he doesn't understand and realize what that means because it seems that he's incapable at this point to actually understand what he is, what he has done and wh- how he has placed right. himself. Right. In fact, That's where here, we are. That's here's where an we example. Are here's an example of that, Jack Rice. And I want your uh, response and what you thought when you first heard this. Um, all right. Here's the quote. The United States must greatly strengthen and expand its nuclear capability until such time as the world comes to its senses regarding nukes. Donald J. Trump, the president-elect uh, president of the United States, tweeted that out a few days ago. The Chinese and the Russians changed how they approached the world based upon that tweet. They did. In what and way? In fact, well, in terms of their preparation, in terms of their willingness to actually respond out of fear that if he can do this and he can say this, that potentially it means he may be preparing to do something as a result of it. And, and, and the problem with that is that that makes the world more dangerous because you, you contemplate what happens from Vladimir Putin on down through his generals, through his senior officers, to his junior officers, to enlist, to his enlisted people, and what those orders could potentially result in, in terms of their behavior. And the problem is, as a result of that, somebody could die on a front line someplace because Donald Trump is sitting on his toilet at three o'clock in the morning, deciding he wants to tweet something cool. Yeah. And, and, and he's never, he, this is a man... This is part of the frustration for people like me, is that this is the kind of man who's never put himself in a place where he was doing something bigger than he was. This is a person who has never risked his life based upon a principle that was more important than he individually was. Men and women who have done this over by the thousands, frankly millions, for this country because they believed my perception and the perception of many people who who do and have done what I have done is that we see this guy as somebody who sees himself as bigger than everything else. But the problem is, is he may see himself as bigger and more important, but he doesn't recognize the ramifications of what that bigger and more important role is. And it's not the role of Donald Trump. It's the role of being president of the United States. Right. And that is a serious, serious problem. You know, and on so many levels, Jack, this is the problem. It seems like he thinks this is a joke. When I went with each subsequent cabinet appointee 
And granted, they're going to have to go through hearings, and I think it's going to be a brutal process, at least it better be. Um, I get the feeling that he's thumbing his nose at the American people. And even, you know, his little charade where he met with Obama in the Oval Office and, oh, he's a terrific guy and I really like him and I had never met him before. But after I excoriated him for years and claimed he wasn't a citizen, now all of a sudden we're buddies and I think he's great. And then he leaves the Oval Office and he puts, you know, for instance, the one thing we that was reported on was Obama said, look, about, you know, the Affordable Care Act, there's a lot of things you need to keep here, you know, uh, a pre-existing condition so that uh, an insurance company can't not sell someone a policy because they have a pre-existing condition, letting kids stay on their parents' policy until they're 26. And he came out of there sort of echoing those words. Now, we have heard that what sticks with him is the last five seconds of whatever the last person he met with said. So maybe that was it. But he but he names a guy to head up... Health and Human Services, somebody who's written all of those 50-some-odd bills that the Republican Congresses have passed to repeal Obamacare. I mean, every single yeah. pointy, it's sort of out of opposite world that I always talk about. Like the like Rick Perry to energy, that was his oops. That was the third agency that he wants to demolish that he couldn't remember in a debate. I mean, it almost seems like these were chosen specifically as an FU to the American people. You, you know, I mean, one of the things that I, I do in my life now is, is I, uh, I'm a trial lawyer. Yeah. And, and specifically, I'm a former prosecutor, but I'm, I'm a criminal defense attorney. And, I, and I, not only do I try a lot of cases, I train people and I train people around the world, lawyers around the world to be better at what they do, because from my perspective, I think that good advocacy, where you stand up for your clients, those charged with crimes, maybe even on the civil side too, good advocacy means that your systems will work better and you'll believe in your systems. And, and I think that's important from a democracy standpoint. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons. So I was, I was in Uganda not long ago doing this. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a principle in teaching trial advocacy. It's called recency and primacy. And, and what those mean are these, is that uh, primacy means when you say something right out of the gate, people will remember it. And recency may, usually means the last thing you say is the thing that you remember. Mm -hmm. And you just assume that people are going to forget everything in the middle. Right. And, and the reason I talk about it is that that's how sometimes people remember things who aren't deep thinkers. That's Donald Trump. He'll remember the first thing and he'll remember the last thing for a little while. But the problem is, is that if he doesn't believe in the people around him, and more importantly, he doesn't believe in the fundamental principles for which we're actually here and what it is we're trying to accomplish, he's going to get led around by the nose. And, and the guy who's going to be leading him around at least more emphatically than almost anybody else right now is probably the smartest guy on the world stage. And in some ways, the most dangerous. I'm impressed as hell by who he is. Not because I agree with him, but because I'm impressed with his skill set. Which one? And that's Vladimir, P Vladimir Putin. Oh, uh, he's uh. brilliant. The man is absolutely. He's not just not just because he's former KGB, but in terms of how he leads. Yes, is he an autocrat? Absolutely. Has he killed people? No question about it. Nothing happens that rolls out of Russia, and and people who've been targeted, especially on an international stage, would happen but for his agreement. That's fact. But his ability to look long-term 
big picture over time. And the problem is, is you have somebody like a Donald Trump who can only remember the last five seconds of what somebody says, he's not going to even understand and see a Vladimir Putin coming. Right. And the problem is that, is that Donald Trump is not going to pay the price for that. You are. Yeah. I am. Our children will. And that's a reality. And oh, by the way, that's true for Republican Congress people's children, too. And that's the astounding part. Mm -hmm. And people are saying, no, no, I'm good with this guy. Right. Trust me, he's not the Republicans guy either. They can lie to themselves all day long about this issue. He's not. Yeah, he's no, he's not their he, guy either. And and the thing is, he might not even be Donald Trump's guy either. You know, because he's he's so he's such a narcissist that he can't see beyond his nose. You know, because he's so wrapped up with, ooh, this one was mean to me. One of his most telling statements, I thought, was during the debates when he was asked about Putin. Either he met him or he hasn't met him. And, and like it changes like the wind. Um, but his whole, the way he treats people, well, he was nice to me. He says nice things about me. I'll say nice things about him. That's his view of the world. Is that the Trump doctrine? If he's nice to me, I'll be nice to him. If he says nice things about me, I'll say nice things about him. He's that simple. When you, contem yeah. when you, when you contemplate uh, staying on the Trump issue for him, on, on the, the Putin issue for a minute, mm -hmm. when you contemplate what's happening and what's coming at us, and I think this is sadly what's frequently missed in the media because we love to live in five-second soundbites and bumper stickers. We love it. Oh, yep. We love it. So uh, it, it's this, is that what Vladimir Putin wants right now is this, is he wants American isolationism. He wants hands-off. He wants weakened international structures for a whole series of reasons. One of the biggest is is there serious sanctions that are going on as a result of his invasion of Ukraine. Right. And, and if you can get those sanctions dropped, and they will be dropped as a result of the Americans pulling back under Donald Trump and the weakening of, of NATO and Brexit and uh, the UN and a whole series of other organizations, what that will result in is the ability for the Russians to continue to push west. I don't mean it from a, from a, a military standpoint. This is all economic now. Hmm. Uh, the ability hmm. to push that direction, but also the ability of the Americans to pull back and thinking that they should let somebody else carry the, the mantle of leadership. What you're going to see is a massive shift east, meaning the Russians will continue to have a dramatic impact in the Middle East. And that, that impact is going to be larger than the Americans in some ways. And a perfect example of that is what you're going to see from President Erdogan in Turkey is a shift out of Europe and a shift towards Russia and a shift towards uh, the East. I mean, as an example, there's going to be a meeting in the next week and a half to two weeks between the Iranians, the Turks and the Russians in Moscow. Right. right. Now, understand what that means. Uh, the, the massive impact and the reach into the Med for the Russians, number one, they already have one pipeline. They're looking for more. Mm. But the ability to have this triumvirate between those three and then reach in with influence over the Middle East, it's dramatic. And the problem is, is, is President-elect Trump doesn't even see this coming because Vladimir Putin is nice to him. Right, exactly. And he says he's a smart guy. That's all we need, and, right? And can I, that something just that's bothering you, what does that do to the Kurds? Is this going to wipe out the Kurds? Yes. 
Oh, 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 without, without question it will. Mm. Because, again, again, being in Diyarbakir, the southeastern Turkey, it's really the epicenter of the, Kur- of yeah. the Kurdish population. Right. Uh, when I was there, I remember watching, and the, the Turks were flying over uh, Diyarbakir and, and to the south with American-made F-15s and Apache attack helicopters looking to kill Kurds in Turkey, in Diyarbakir, where I was, as I, as I watched them flying over the city, looking to bomb. And this is the same thing we were saying. And the reality that the president-elect doesn't understand is our closest, quote-unquote, allies in the region were a Kurdish group to the south of the border. Right. And what we're seeing is a schism now, and it's going to result in the Kurds being decimated by this, and it will happen. And my fear is that even the Americans, the most important military bases the, the Americans had in that region were two bases that were based, one in Diyarbakir and one to the south. What's going to happen is I, I predict you're going to see a shift and that those bases are going to start being used by the Russians and the Americans may be pushed out of them. I understand for people who are pro or if they want to see this as pro-war or pro-expansionism, but the problem is, is influence requires power behind it. If you, if you neuter any country from having that power, you also neuter them from having influence. And that is something that you need to contemplate when you're talking about the ability to reach in and have an influence in any country, in any region. And while we're going to continue to be dependent and as dependent as we are on oil and continue to be, then we need to have influence. So it's going to be real interesting to see how this plays out over the next few years. Interesting. Yeah, that's one way to put it. (laughs) Jack Rice, former CIA agent, uh, radio host, criminal defense attorney, jack of all trades, all around really smart guy, is our guest today on the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of The Nicole Sandler Show, heard Tuesday through Friday from 3 to 4 Eastern, at NicoleSandler.com and on the Progressive Voices Network. We'll take a break. When we come back, actually, we'll take a little detour and bid a fond farewell to some of the too many people we lost in 2016. And then we'll finish up the conversation with Jack Rice. Sound good? Good. So don't go away. The broadcast continues in just a moment. Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you.
are back. I'm Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com in for Brad Friedman and Desi Doyen today as they take off a little bit of holiday time. Much deserved, too. So we'll get back to our conversation with former CIA operative Jack Rice in a little bit. But first, I do a little feature every day. Uh, Generally, when things are busy, there's a lot of news each morning. So I put it together in a fun, musical, fast-paced kind of package that I call What's News. This week, it's slow. The one thing that wasn't slow this year, though, was death. Boy, it seemed like death was everywhere. Starting with David Bowie on January 10th and ending on Christmas Day, we hope, with George Michael. Obviously, in six minutes, I can't cover them all. But here's a little salute to some we lost in 2016. It's a special end-of-the-year farewell edition of What's News on the broadcast. I read the news today, oh boy. It's time now for What's News. I'm Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. Although this week, there's not a whole lot of news going on, so we'll take this time each day to sort of wrap up the year. Today, we'll bid farewell to some of those we lost in this hellacious year. Beginning with the fifth Beatle. Yes, producer George Martin. The final chord in A Day in the Life lasted 42 seconds. The four Beatles and George Martin created it by banging on three pianos simultaneously. Rest in peace, Sir George Martin. Now, some others we lost in 2016. David Bowie. Muhammad Ali. Done something new for this fight. I'd have wrestled with an alligator. That's right. I have wrestled with an alligator. I done tussled with a whale. I done handcuffed lightning, throw thunder in jail. That's bad. Only last week, I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. Bad dude. Bad. Fast. Fast. Fast! Last night I cut the light off in my bedroom, hit the switch, was in the bed before the room was dark. Incredible. Fast! Incredible. And you, George Fullman, all of you chumps are gonna bow when I whoop him. All of you! I know you got him. I know you got him picked, but the man's in trouble. I'm gonna show you how great I am. Fidel Castro. For a half century, Fidel Castro ruled Cuba while the world changed around him. Fifty years of isolation finally ended only after he left power and only with his tacit blessing. Castro remained skeptical and suspicious of the U.S. right up to his death, defiantly commenting after President Obama's historic visit that Cuba will never forget the Bay of Pigs invasion and does not need America. His defense of his communist revolution never faltered. Leonard Cohen. It's you asked me. You asked me a question back in May, and you can repeat that question. Do you smoke crack cocaine? Exactly. Yes, I have smoked crack cocaine. Rob Ford. When but sir. no, 
Do I? Am I an addict? No. When have you Have I it? tried it? Um, probably in one of my drunken stupors, probably approximately about a year ago. I don't know what I... Oh, oh guys, oh, 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 okay, can I, can I just... Yeah, go ahead. Yes, please. All I can say is I've made mistakes. Godspeed, John Glenn. John Glenn. Ten, nine, eight, seven. Roger, backup clock is started. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Capsule is turning around. Oh, that view is tremendous. Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Glenn Fry. Lighten up while you still can. Don't even try to understand. Just find a place to make your stand. Take it easy. Here's the story of a lovely lady. Florence Henderson. Who was bringing Merle Haggard. A place where even squares can have a ball. Ooh, what a lucky man he was. Greg Lake. Ooh, what a lucky man he was. Gordy Howe. I signed him to his first contract and he come up in the afternoon, he was walking up in front of my office, and I never closed my door, and I finally said, come on in, son, what's the matter with you? Aren't you satisfied with your contract? And he said, uh, no, you've been good to me. My contract is good, great. He said, but you know, you promised me a red wing jacket. So I said, well, if that's all his body, you go out and get yourself five. Gene Wilder. There is no life I know to compare with pure imagination. Living there, you'll be free if you truly wish to be. And there's so many more. Shimon Perez, Prince, Nancy Reagan, Janet Reno, Alan Rickman, Morley Safer, Antonin Scalia, Alan Thicke, Abe Vigoda, Ily Wiesel, Gene Wilder, Zsa Zsa Gabor, Leon Russell, and the list goes on. I've been so many places in my life and time. I've sung a lot of songs, I've made some bad I've acted out my love in stages With 10,000 people watching But we're alone now And I'm singing this song to you I'm Nicole Sandler for the Progressive Voices Network. We'll be right back with more of our conversation with Jack Rice next on the broadcast. This is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of the Nicole Sandler Show. In for Brad and Desi today. Tying up some year-end loose ends, as it were. 
You know, because this is the time of year that there's not a whole lot of hard news being made. We're in a holding pattern, kind of, waiting for all hell to break loose (laughs) once the inauguration hits. Although, I don't think anybody's yet told Donald Trump that in this country, we have one president at a time, and he's not it yet. All right, let's get back to it now. The conclusion of our conversation with Jack Rice on the broadcast. Jack Rice is with us. He's, uh, well, he's a trial lawyer based in Minneapolis now. JackRice.net is his website where he blogs. He's also, he's a radio guy. He's a CIA agent. You are like... um, uh, you're the jack of all trades. Um, but but I love being able to to pick your brain here for a second. So, Jack Rice. All right, I want to staying on Putin for a bit because he all of a sudden is you know uh, top of the news. I mean he's he is the lead story in the in the American uh, reality right now. Um, the hacking of the DNC and uh, and, and the hacking of. Uh, John Podesta's emails, those are actually two separate things. Um, they they kind of got grouped together. Um, there are some, although the official, you know, the seven agencies all say, yes, it was Russia. And not only was it Russia, but Vladimir Putin had a direct hand in it. There are others who are saying some in, you know, wandering the halls of Congress, some others in um, you know, journalistic cir- circles who are saying, that's not it at all. It was not the Russians. Do you have every faith that it was the Russians, being that you're a, a CIA alum? It was the Russians. It was the Russians. Okay. Well, I mean, it, let, let's. I mean, let's talk about why. Right. First okay. of all, let's mm-hmm. talk about sort of the outrage that comes from this. Any intelligence organization worth its salt hacks. Any intelligence organization in the world has tried to influence the media of the target country in which they're working. Every single intelligence organization, every single one. Mm -hmm. So the argument that they wouldn't do this is laughable at best. Okay. And and I think that's, that needs to be accepted because it's simply a fact. It's always been true. Always. But now, now Julian, Julian Assange, though, is was the conduit to release them. I mean, WikiLeaks is the one who put it out. And he says that it did not come from Russia. Well, and again, my response is, if if all Julian Assange can do is continue to justify his own power base. And and again, I don't care about him. I truly don't. Right. Uh, My if he can justify his own strength and power. Why would you defer to anybody who gives you all of that power? And, the, and power in his case is influence and the ability to, to exert it through the release of information. Mm-hmm. Where does this man have the, the capability to get it? So why would I argue that it's Russians? It's this. The Russians are very, very good at this. The Russians have done this very specifically in multiple countries. They did this in Ukraine. They did this in Georgia. They did this in some of the other, other southern republics. And they did this in very specific ways. They attack in very specific ways. The Chinese attack in a different kind of way. The Americans, hypothetically, I'll say hypothetically, attack in a different kind of way. Others attack in different kinds of ways. The approach that was done in this case is exactly how the Russians would do it and why the Russians would do it. And, and I think that's important. It's consistent with exactly how they would approach it from where they would approach it. And that's really one of the things that's important. And by the way, 
this assumes that the Russians really care about Donald Trump. Mm. They don't. Mm-hmm. They don't care about that. They don't care about Podesta. They don't care about uh, Trump. They don't care about the Democrats. They don't care about the Republicans. Think of them like Exxon. Exxon doesn't care about the Republicans or the Democrats either. They simply want to influence as they want to influence. That's what they're about. They're about making as much money as humanly possible. Sure. And so from their perspective, they, they drive money and they drive influence down the, down the center of both parties. The Republicans, in the, excuse me, the, 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 the Russians in this case, from their perspective, this is about giving the Russians what the Russians want for Russia. And just because that happened to be consistent with Donald Trump right now was enough for them. And the beauty of what they were able to do now, and I say this sort of professionally, is that what they were capable of was using their, their technical and their financial backing when it comes to computer systems and, and their people to attack the U.S., but then to use multiple platforms in order to distribute what they wanted to distribute to have the influence that they had. And from a, from a professional standpoint, this was really quite lovely and horrific at the same time. This was a Russian op. This is how they run. This is how they work. And when you look at the influence that they wanted to have, they wanted to be able to do this. And they wanted the world to understand and know that it was them who did it. They don't have to acknowledge it. They simply wanted it done so people would say, damn, that was something special. Oh, boy. This was a Vladimir Putin op as well. It never would have been done. Not against the United States, not against the presidential primary, not against the presidential election, without that man specifically controlling the op himself. And do you think it would have happened with anyone other than Donald Trump? Like if they had an actual, like a a real um, serious candidate for the nominee? I think if, if they could have, again, they don't they care. They would have. They don't care, I, right. I think, I, I think they would have used anybody. I don't think right, but Donald, Donald Trump, Trump probably question. made it easier for them because oh, yeah. oh, of his oh, yeah. oh, idiocy oh, yeah. and narcissism, right? He, <laughs> yeah. he, he just gave him a way in. All you have to do is flatter him. It, it was not difficult uh, when you have somebody who's that easy to manipulate. Mm. Uh, as, as a... As a former case officer, he would have been the easiest, the easiest target I might have ever had. If you could get close enough, I own that guy. Yeah. I own that guy. Right. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, that he has been compromised in that sense. I, I don't have enough information to say that, but he sure made this easy. Yeah, yeah, he did. And he's given it away. So here's the next question, Jack Rice. Anybody that now he's he's uh, he's tapped a lot of former generals for his cabinet. I think he's broken all kinds of records here, uh, which is frightening for those of us peace loving uh, liberals out here. But uh, does he have anyone uh, that he's in his inner circle that he's announced so far that you trust who might be able to rein him in? You know, it's, it's a great question. Uh, when you look at, at the people he brought in, like Flynn, and you look at some of the things that Flynn has done. Right. Flynn is frightening, at, right? Yeah. I mean, explain, yeah. why is Flynn no longer working 
um, in the position, his last uh, governmental commission? Well, he was disliked dramatically by a lot of people mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that was competency. Hmm. And, and, and that's a big part of it. But it, it's not just Flynn. I mean, we can go much broader than that. You can look at Mad Dog Mad, uh, who is a former four-star Marine. And these are all, uh, all the people he brought in are flagship officers, either three or four-star generals. And, and what we can tell you is, is that you don't get to this level without being a politician. I mean, I understand you wrap, you wrap the uniform around them, and that changes them, unfortunately. We can talk about that. But, but what it also does is it makes all of them politicians, because you can't get that level even in the military without fundamentally being a politician. The, the biggest fear that, that Americans should have with this overly large uh, um, deference to the military is, is something that really happened after 9-11 from both the Republicans and the Democrats to some degree. And, and what that has been is this deference to the militarization of, of American domestic and foreign policy. You can see it from our police officers in terms of how they're dressed when they walk in the streets. They look like they're the military. Uh, anytime there's a protest, they look like they're prepared to jump into Fallujah. You have that. But on an international stage, what we saw right after 9-11 with, with the Donald Rumsfeld, as an example, was a folding in of most of the power that the State Department and many of the intelligence organizations had with international and foreign policy and dropped them in the hands of the Pentagon because they wanted a militarization of it. And they did that. And so what you're seeing now is that almost the only logical conclusion, which is to take the military and put them to some degree in control of most of those levers of power and simply let them loose. The only problem we have now is now we also have the former head of Exxon finding a way to essentially wring all the cash you can out of it while at the same time militarizing almost everything. That's where we sit right now with the president-elect. Oh, it's frightening. First of all, it's frightening on a military level. In an article, Greg Sargent asked the question, could Trump help unleash nuclear catastrophe with a single tweet? He interviewed a number of arms control experts who all tell him yes. So there's... Well, that's actually what you and I were just right. talking about. It's a change in actual status. Yeah, inside of Moscow, inside of Beijing, where the leadership will see a tweet and say, oh my gosh, what is he going to do? Right. And what about North Korea? Well, with the North Koreans in particular, it's only a matter of time, meaning within the next potentially anywhere from six months to three to five years, maybe, Mm -hmm. where, where the North Koreans will have a delivery system. Right. And a delivery system, meaning an ICBM type of system with a multi-stage rocket that could actually land something in mainland United States. They already have a, an operating, operating nuclear weapon. They already have a capability. The only question is, is they could drop it in Japan. They can do that now. But, or they can drop it in South Korea. They can do that now. But, but they will soon enough have the ability to drop it in the United States. That's not going to be that far. That's not going to be that hard. No. They certainly will have the kit. Because, you know what, it only takes money. Right. Sorry. Uh, okay, it, so it, then it, it, it's, it's only money. Let's talk money for a moment, because Donald Trump made an announcement this week. She's going to cease uh, operations in the Trump Foundation. He's going to shut it down because the Trump Foundation is this big, wide-ranging world charity that 
does all this work, right? Wrong. They can't find anything that the Trump Foundation has ever done, except it seems like help Donald Trump take money for his own personal reasons. Well, how many how many large paintings of Donald Trump? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, once the foundation <laughs> buys you that, what other work is there for it to do? So so he's exactly. made this big announcement that he's going to shut down the foundation. What about everything else? What about you posted something on Facebook the other day about the emoluments clause, which is a big word that we've been hearing a lot of. He doesn't seem to care. I think he's good at distraction. So, oh, they're talking about my conflicts of interest. Okay, I'll give up the foundation, which doesn't do anything for me personally anyway, but I'm going to keep my nose in all my business affairs. And he keeps saying, legally, I'm allowed to do this. You know, I could just run everything from the Oval Office. What is this man prepared to do? Do you have any idea? Well, first of all, he's incorrect. Let's talk about the law for a second okay. here. And I, I've talked to a lot of people about this myself. And if you look at Article 1 of the Constitution, so this goes way back to the beginning. So this is Alexander Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And part of the Emoluments Clause was, it's really part of something called the Nobility Clause. But what it essentially means is if you work in the government and there's no distinction between anywhere in the government. It's not like the ethics rules for conflicts of interest when it comes to people who work in government. So if, I, if I'm Secretary of State and I have to go through uh, the, uh, the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee or uh, whichever, the Judiciary Committee or whatever, anywhere else, where you actually have limitations in what you can do. So the guy from Exxon actually is going to have limitations. He really will. And it's required under the ethics rules. The Emoluments Clause is actually designed and it's much broader and what it really was designed for was this. It started from the beginning that said, if you're going to be in government, we need to make sure that you can't receive titles like sir or whatever, right? So that's part of the nobility clause. But part of it was also you can't receive any gifts, any benefits if you're part of the government. And this included the president of the United States. And it was very specific because the fear was about foreign corruption is if the Brits came back into government and said, we're going to throw something at you. If you receive it, that is the constitutional violation. That is the crisis. And so what the Emoluments Clause specifically has to do with gifts. Now let's contemplate what a gift can mean. And this is real law. This is good law. It's how it works. Is A gift could be, I give you a new suit. But it could also mean this. If you own a hotel in the Philippines and the problem is, is you're the president of a country, hypothetically, the United States, mm -hmm. whose name is on the front of that hotel. <laughs> yeah. And we know that your hotel is going to be a target for terrorists from Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Al-Shabaab, yeah, right. uh, Boko Haram, a whole series. What we're going to do is, because it would look bad for you, we're going to provide additional security to that hotel to make sure that it doesn't get bombed. The problem is, is that will actually increase the value of your hotel property. And it will. If Donald Trump personally doesn't pay for that security, mm -hmm. even if he didn't ask for it, it is an increase in value of his own property, which means it's a gift, which means it's in oh. violation of the emoluments clause, huh. which means he is in violation. Wow. That's fact. So, and so, so who's going to enforce that? Even the, Who will enforce well, that against him? That's, that's the rub. Because this is where the constitutional crisis comes in. Mm -hmm. And this is where it's going to get really interesting, is that it's Congress, it's the House that has to do this. But do you know who's going to push this? It's not going to be the Dems. They're not going to win this, no. this fight. No. 
You know what's going to be? It's going to be the likes of the Heritage Foundation. It's huh. going to be the likes of the of of the Cato Foundation. Heritage in particular, because these guys are purists. They're less Republican than they are conservatives. They hold themselves out as conservatives, not even Republicans, and they bang on on Republicans who aren't conservative enough because they're not real conservatives. Right. What you're going to find is, and this is the crazy upside down world that we're in right now, is you're going to I, I predict again is you're going to find these conservative groups, including some of the magazines that are out there, that are going to be the ones coming after these issues because they see this as a spit in the face to conservatism. And it's going to be the lefties from their standpoint, meaning non-conservative Republicans who aren't willing to abide by the Constitution, who they're going to be attacking first. And when things start to go south for this president, and I guarantee they're going to because they're going to have to, he's saying too many weird and crazy things. You know, it should when be. They do, it, yeah. it should nope. be Paul Ryan leading the charge, well, shouldn't it? Well, but you know what? Oh, it will. I you think, think? It, what this huh. is, it's not going to happen until bad things start to happen in the country and the Republicans realize that they have a serious branding problem right now. They don't have any real branding problems, but they're going to. And they're not going to blame this guy until they realize that it's going to be easier to blame him than to blame themselves. Hmm. And that will come. It will come because they don't believe he's a real Republican either. No. Nobody believes this guy is anything but who he is. Here's he's Donald Trump. Okay, here's, here's another like a, a conspiracy theory we can start. What if Paul Ryan is conspiring with, oh, Mike Pence somewhere in the deep recesses of Washington, D.C. to say, we got to get this idiot out of there and then we can really put our agenda over on the American people. I mean, as much as I can't stand Donald Trump and I'm afraid he's going to get the world obliterated in a nuclear uh, conflagration... Mike Pence is going to be death by a thousand cuts. He's going to come in and privatize Medicare and Social Security and, I mean, make you have a funeral for aborted fetal tissue. I mean, the the most dystopian things you can think of, that's how Mike Pence thinks. And it's a great question. I've been thinking about this, too. Um, I'm torn. Okay, and and I really am about this. I mean, I look back, I've worked for Republican and Democratic presidents. Mm -hmm. And here's what I have seen in general. And and I I know I have a lot of lefties who will disagree with me and righties, too, who disagree with me on this issue. But generally what I have seen that these presidents, all of them, even if I disagreed with them fundamentally, there was a certain fundamental love of country. Mm -hmm. And I can think I worked for George Bush, the father. Yeah. And I worked for Bill Clinton and there was a fundamental love of country, which was there. And the problem is I don't see this with a Donald Trump. Now, let me follow through the logic of it. The problem that we have with a Donald Trump is that there actually isn't even a real debate on policy. We're not having a policy debate with him at all because American people still don't know what he actually believes or thinks. Right. Yep. And we don't. And, and whereas I would argue that I think a lot of people fundamentally know who Mike Pence is, and they understand. And dare I say this, I think that Mike Pence actually does love this country. I do. In a I don't think Donald way. Trump does. Yeah. I think Donald yeah. Trump loves Donald Trump. Yeah, well, definitely. And so if I get a Mike Pence who actually stepped in, and I'm not sure if I'm prepared to go there yet because I think Donald Trump will quit first, and that could happen. If we have a Mike Pence... I think the difference then becomes now we're having a real question on are we really the kind of country that Mike Pence says we are? Because Don, nobody knows what Donald Trump says 
they just know they're outraged and they know they're angry and they know they're kind of scared and they know they feel upset because they don't know where the world's going. And they kind of like somebody who can sort of say that in a very nebulous form. Mike Pence is not that guy. I think when Mike Pence stands up and starts saying all the things that you said, that's not nebulous anymore. Right. That's fundamental extreme conservatism. And I am more than willing to have that conversation than the nebulous, crooked Hillary, put her in jail, I know what I'm doing, trust me, sort of conversation. It's going to be terrific. We can have that debate. Yeah, that's what we got now. Right. Well, and I think there's a distinction, right? Because I think Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, the fabulous your head will spin how great it's going to be. A lot of people will say, well, that sounds pretty good. (laughs) But let's let's imagine. Who doesn't want that? Right. That's what they voted for. Right. We, we all agree that's true. I mean, you and I agree with that. We want it to be great. But, but when you get somebody who says, let's privatize everything. Let's start having funerals for aborted fetuses. Mm-hmm. And let's make sure that we defund anything and everything and make it impossible to actually have constitutionally protected rights, which he wants to do. Yep. I think all of a sudden you're going to get a whole lot of people, including conservatives who are out there saying, but I have a 24-year-old daughter who's in school who will have to drop out if I can't keep her on my insurance. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to have a a different kind of question. And that's the kind of debate that America is about. And I welcome that kind of a debate. It's the everything's going to be great. Trust me. Here, Let me tweet on on my golden throne at 3 a.m. That scares me. Yeah. Well, and I'll ignore every piece of, of information and evidence because I know better because I'm smart. That scares me. Yeah, that that's Mike frightening Pence, because yeah. that that that's a demented mind. That is that well, is the delusional rantings of a madman, and that who is going to take the oath of office in, in about well, three I mean, weeks. I mean, even if I don't, even if I don't even say madman, what I, what I will say is I will say those are the words of a fundamental narcissist with myopic views of the world where we simply must believe him because he said it. And I don't believe that of anybody. Left, right, center, I don't care. If you're going to say something, know why you're saying it and explain why you mean what you mean. That's all I'm looking for. Because then we can have a conversation about what it actually means. That's all. Left or right. I don't care where you are. I hear let's, you. Let's, let's, let's do play. It. Yeah. Well, we're going to have a lot of time to do that. Jack Rice said it's been way too long since we'd spoken. I could keep talking to you for hours, but uh, uh, the clock is against us. Well, thank you so much. It was a real privilege and it was great to catch up with you. Yeah, for me too. Thank you so much, Jack. Jack Rice. Find him at jackrice.net and on Facebook too. And with that, we're done with another edition of the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler. You can always find me at nicolesandler.com and on the Progressive Voices Network from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern, Tuesday through Friday. I've got one more show in for Brad and Desi tomorrow. Until then, good luck, world.